It's a familiar topic these days on local and national news. We hear story after story about the opioid crisis. Here's why. According to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, the U.S. opioid epidemic was declared a public health emergency in 2017. From 2017 to 2018, 2.1 million people had an opioid disorder. 11.4 million people misused prescription opioids, and an estimated 130,000 plus people died every day from opioid-related drug overdoses. In this episode of In Good Health, we learn more about the origins of the opioid crisis in the late 1990s. We will also get a candid description of the hard work and commitment it takes to recover from a substance use disorder from Dr. Heather Manos, board-certified addiction therapist and medical director for Addiction Therapy Services at Novant Health. So Dr. Manos, you know, one highly publicized challenge among many communities in the United States is that of the opioid crisis. So talk to us a little bit about how that came to be and what is happening right now in our communities related to opioid addiction. Okay, so the landscape behind the opioid crisis has a lot to do with what what occurred with the pharmaceutical companies decades ago. So OxyContin was a medication that was marketed in the late 1980s, 1990s. Um, and at that time, doctors were, were taught that pain was being undertreated, that it was really, um, unethical to undertreat pain. Um, really in a marketing effort, there was a creation of a fifth vital sign and it was called you know, the pain scale. Patients were widely asked to assess their pain on a scale from one to 10. And then if they reported pain in the emergency department at their clinics, they were were treated with these stronger opioid medications. And that was a shift in the way that, that opioids had been used medically. Uh, prior to that, these medications had been reserved for use in patients with, um, with cancer or that had just had surgery. So, When you look at statistics, again, one in 10 patients or people uh, have uh, a diagnosable substance use disorder. And you look at uh, patients exposed to opioid medications, and again, approximately one in 10 will become addicted to these pain medications. and the education that was given at the time was that these medications were not addictive. So it it set up the perfect storm for this quote opioid crisis because patients were widely prescribed the medication Oxycontin for pain um, became 
you know, dependent at the very least, if not addicted. And then as it was recognized as a problem, um, the CDC and other regulatory agencies later in the early 2000s started to say, hey, we need to, to look at what's going on here um, and started recommending that, that these medications were no longer prescribed so liberally. As that happened, um, certainly patients that had become addicted needed to find a different source for the medication or the opioids, and um, it became more widely available on the street. Um, heroin became more widely utilized by patients who were addicted or had opioid use disorder. Um, and then in the last I'd say two to three years, it's been more common that fentanyl or synthetic uh, opioids have been used and those are particularly uh, fatal just because of their potency. Um, and probably their replacement uh, on the street of heroin is, is not going to change because they're cheaper to manufacture. Uh, because you do not need a precursor, you don't need the poppy seed as a precursor. Um, because they're potent, they're easier to transport across the border. You know, you can transport just a pound of fentanyl, cut it with whatever you're cutting it with, and have much more product um, at less risk than, you know, transporting hundreds of pounds of, of heroin into the country. Um, so the landscape is really quite scary because patients or you know addicted persons don't know what they're getting from the street when they purchase heroin which is oftentimes really fentanyl on the journey to recovery what does this look like for patients i know um, your particular practice is unique in its offerings and so tell us a little bit about what are some of the resources that are very important to do the work, as you say, to um, enter into a path to good health? Right, so I'm glad you asked that question. Um, so a patient that presents at our clinic, for instance, would come in and have an assessment done. And you know, the American Society of Addiction Medicine has come up with criteria to establish, you know, the severity of addiction and then make recommendations based on that assessment. So that would be the number one or the first thing that would happen. Um, and basically that's on a scale from, from one to four, with four meaning there needs to be withdrawal management or detox, and number one meaning more that there just needs to be some discussion and some counseling. Um, you know, levels two and three have to do with um, more therapy or medication management. Um, so it could be group therapy and it would vary in intensity of number of hours per week based on severity of addi addiction. So there is a very systematized way or approach to addiction treatment. And, um, you know, centers that engage in this process would be ones that I recommend. Um, 
at the very least. And uh, once it's established sort of where on the spectrum the patient is and using the ASAM criteria, then a referral can be made. So, um, you know, that could be for counseling. The counseling could be, you know, individual therapy once a week. It could be group therapy once a week. It could, could be recommending 12-step meetings or um, some sort of other sort of social support groups. It could be um, something we call intensive outpatient therapy, and that would be structured groups with a predetermined curriculum um, at least nine hours a week. It could be partial hospitalization programs, and that is, is basically where the patient's spending, you know, almost like a part-time job in groups and therapy, um, and it can be residential treatment. So residential is basically where the, the patient goes to, to live at a facility for a, a, an extended period of time. Um, and is requiring an actual separation from society because it is thought that, you know, leaving the, the patient there at home would, would be risky in terms of relapse and, and, and being able to separate from that substance. It could be that the person has a spouse that's actively using a substance and needs to get away from that. Um, it could be, you know, a history of multiple relapses um, in the past after intensive outpatient treatment, you know, it could be a number of different reasons why that would be recommended. Um, so at our clinic, we offer counseling. Um, we have a full-time therapist and she does groups and individual counseling. We do not offer the intensive outpatient treatment. Um, and then my role is more in medication management. So I see patients and determine whether or not they would benefit from the use of medications to curb their cravings um, or to, uh, to manage typically their opioid or alcohol use disorders and, and tobacco actually has a number of different medications that, um, that have been shown to uh, to improve outcomes substantially. Um, and, you know, I can go into the different medications, but I think that may be beyond the scope of this talk. But these medications are underutilized and they have tremendous evidence base in terms of improving outcomes, um, decreasing drug use, and just overall improving the quality of, of patients' lives. So that's sort of an overview of what the treatment landscape looks like. The opioid crisis has created a devastating impact across the United States. As we heard today, the recovery process is a difficult one that requires commitment and support. We salute those that have made the choice to seek addiction services and encourage anyone that is suffering or knows someone suffering with substance use disorder to get help. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Good Health. Remember to like us, rate us, and subscribe on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to our podcasts. Thanks again. This is Brandy Edwards signing off.